When I was 16, I went on a mission trip with my dad and my uncle to Slovakia. And what we were doing there is we were teaching uh, some, some people English, and we were using the Bible as the tool to, to teach them English. The first couple of days that we were there, we had to go about promoting the classes that we were offering. And so we went to kind of one of the, the central locations, uh, shopping centers, where uh, thousands of people went every single day in this, this city. We took some flyers and we split the, 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 the stack of flyers in about thirds, uh, roughly equal, and we split up into different sections where we, we could get some different groups of people. After a few minutes, my dad comes over to me to get some more flyers. He had run out of flyers. And then a few minutes later, my uncle comes and gets some more flyers. And I still have a, a handful that, that I'm still trying to pass out. And so I'm starting to question, you know, why are they going through all of their flyers and I still have all of mine? And I stopped to, to watch what they were doing. They were passing out flyers to everyone that walked by. And I compared that with what I was doing. Somebody that would walk by, I would, I would evaluate them before I would hand them a flyer. If the girl was too pretty, I was too embarrassed to talk to her, and so I couldn't hand her a, fly, a, a flyer. If the guy looked a little too, too nerdy, then, then I didn't want him to be a part of this group, and so I wouldn't hand him a flyer. If the, if the woman had too much hair on her legs, which was kind of disturbing for, for a teenage boy at that time, then I wouldn't hand a flyer to them. See, I viewed my responsibility to serve as the gatekeeper as to who got access to these classes. While my dad and my uncle, they saw themselves, in that moment, their primary responsibility was just to offer the invitations. I would love to tell you that growing up in church, that the church taught me to live differently than that. But the truth is that religion, that Christianity, often teaches us to do that. Throughout time, religion has been used as justification for serving as the gatekeeper, determining who gets access and who does not get access. When Noah got off of the boat, he was given one command to be fruitful and increase, to be fruitful and multiply, to spread across the earth. That's in Genesis chapter 9. The very next chapter, it seems to kind of take a detour, a, a break from the story, from the narrative. And we get this long list of, of Noah's descendants and the, the nations that result from, from Noah's family. But what Scripture is doing there is it is, it is describing that this command given to Noah is beginning to be fulfilled. That they are becoming a numerous people and they are, they are becoming several different nations and that they are beginning to spread. But then Genesis 11 comes in. The next chapter, and do you remember what, what takes place in Genesis chapter 11? That's the story of the Tower of Babel. As 
all of the people, they decide that we're not going to go any farther. We just want to stay together. We love the harmony of of being together in one place. And out of a desire to create a name for themselves, they decide that they're going to build a tower as high as they possibly can. God, seeing what they do, decides to come down and he creates division. No longer do they share the same language, but they are are unable to communicate and they are forced to spread. And before you start to to assume that, that God is just about bringing about division, God calls a man named Abram. And to Abram, he says that that I'm going to make your name great. The very thing that the the tower people, the tower building people were striving after to try and create for themselves, God says, I'm going to give it to you. And the core of the promise to Abraham is that you you are a chosen people. And through you, I'm going to bless all people. That becomes this, the central tenet of the faith of the Israelite people. That they are special. And God continues to confirm this truth time and time again. To Moses, God shows up in, in powerful ways. As Moses is leading the people of Israel and brings them to Mount Sinai. He goes up and he, he, he spends a lot of time up on Mount Sinai to, to meet with God and get what we call the Ten Commandments. But before Moses ever goes up on the mountain, there is a physical manifestation of God's presence. Exodus chapter 19 tells us that there is a a loud sound. It's like a loud trumpet blast. It's, it's like thunder that is just rumbling deep within the earth. That the earth begins to quake. And a cloud descends down on top of the mountain to the point that the people are terrified of what is taking place there. Everything in the physical realm has, has been reverberating with God's presence. Because God's glory is there. The Hebrew word for glory, it, it, it has the, the, the meaning of, of weight, of, of heaviness. It is as if you have, have filled the bathtub full with water. And because of your glory, because of your Weightiness, whenever you, you sit down into that tub, that everything is displaced because of your glory. And that is what takes place whenever God shows up. Because they are a special people. But what does this mean for all the rest of the people in the world? They are supposed to be a blessing to them. But whenever Jesus comes, one of the the condemnations that he makes against the religious establishment of that day, he says in Matthew 23, that you, 
You shut the gate to heaven and don't let people in. That what you are doing is you are putting yourself in the position of the gatekeeper. You are refusing to allow people to come in. Jesus, he lived so differently. Jesus lived so inclusively. This morning is our second week that we are in this study called Multiply. As we are opening up the book of Acts and seeing how God moves. The book of Acts is, is on the surface level, it is the story of the history of the early followers of Jesus. But as we said last week, this is so much more than that. This this story of Acts, it is the way that God moves through his people and in his people. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has come back to life. He has resurrected from the grave. And Luke says that he has provided many convincing proofs that he was alive. For 40 days, he walks among his followers. And he gives them an instruction. That because of what you have seen, because of what you have experienced, you now are going to be witnesses. You're going to carry this message to the ends of the earth. But before they do that, they need to come under the influence. So Jesus tells them to stay in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them. And a week later, after they have spent this seven-day period in prayer, we read Acts Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days, so this is 50 days after the, the Passover, 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our, our native language Parthians Medes and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism Cretans and Arabs we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. This is a remarkable story in which God is is doing something great. Luke says that, that they hear the sound of a violent wind. And then they see tongues of uh, this fire splits and it, it, it says if there are tongues of fire residing over each one of them. He is calling up images reminiscent of God's presence throughout the Old Testament. That God's glory is now not resting upon a mountain, but He is resting upon each individual. What is remarkable is that those that witness this, those that are close enough to hear the sound and want to come and see what is making all of the ruckus, they look at these people that are speaking and they say, they must be drunk. I don't know about you, but if, if I were to watch you come up onto this stage and just begin to to speak in Spanish and German and French and Italian and all kinds of different languages, my assumption would not be that you are drunk. I would assume that something else is going on there. So there must be something that they see in these people, these early followers of Jesus that that they make the connection to being drunk on the spirits. But Peter says that it's not because of of spirits, but it is because of the Holy Spirit that they are doing what they are doing. And this isn't the only time in Scripture that the presence of the Spirit of God and being drunk is connected. Paul makes the same connection in in Ephesians 5 whenever he says not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. I think that one of, at least part of what is taking place here, is that they are so filled with joy that they have become the life of the party. In all of our advertisements, in all of the images that we conjure up, and I know that there are some people that they are violent, angry drunks, but the primary image that comes to our mind whenever somebody has, has had too much alcohol is that they have become the life of the party. That they are, are just having too much fun. Luke wants us to see is that because of their faith in Jesus, because of their obedience, they have now come under the influence of the Spirit of God. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Look again at what these early followers are doing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 11, 
those who are hearing the people speak, they say that they are declaring the wonders of God. They have come under the influence of the wonder of God. When is the last time that you have just just been caught up in the wonder of God? Sometimes I think that our familiarity has bred contempt. That we have become too familiar with the story of Jesus that we have lost our wonder. And we don't experience as much joy as we once did. I know of a church that was started a few years ago in Hollywood, California. It was started not in a church building, but those that decided to start this church, they decided they were going to start just by throwing parties. A couple of the founding members, they owned Houses in the L.A. area that had large backyards. And if you've ever been there, you know that having a large backyard is, is a little bit uncommon. And so they started throwing parties that, that, that required valet parking. And they hired DJs to, to play music. And just started inviting neighbors and friends and co-workers to come and enjoy a party just to be together. After a series of these parties, the, the pastor was at one of these parties and he was standing next to a man that was an atheist. And in the conversation that, that hadn't reached the point where you start to ask, you know, hey, wh- what do you do for a living? And the pastor had to share that he was somebody that believed in God and, and it kind of got awkward the atheist leans over and says, Hey, have you noticed that there are a lot of Christians at this party? The pastor responded and said, Yeah, and I'm one of them. The atheist looked at him and he said, I didn't know that Christians could have fun. Which is kind of a sad statement whenever you look at the way that we live. Because Jesus knew how to throw all of the best parties. Jesus was was viewed to be a glutton and a drunkard because he was living around people that were having fun. It wasn't so much that he was a drunkard, but that he was at those parties. And he included so many people that maybe didn't receive an invitation. On top of being under the influence, the wonder of God, these followers are under the influence of the timing of God. Jesus told them that you're going to be my witnesses, but first you stay in Jerusalem. You wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, and seven days later it takes place. 
It doesn't sound like a long time, seven days to wait. But maybe that's because we have forgotten what it is like to really be excited. To have such wonderful news that you want to share with everyone that is around you, but you can't say anything about it yet. They don't know when the Spirit's going to come. They just are told to wait. And it happens on the day of Pentecost when they were all together. The day of Pentecost, it was one of the major religious celebrations for a Jewish person. The city of Jerusalem historical scholars say, would swell as much as three to four times during the day of Pentecost. Luke tells us that there are people from all over the world that have traveled to Jerusalem for this day. He lists 15 different nations or languages that are spoken of people that are gathered here. This would not have taken place on any other day of the year. But because of their obedience, God was working in His timing to bring about this perfect circumstance where He could begin to undo the curse of the Tower of Babel. That just like you you have, the because of their rebellion, many different languages created. God is bringing about unity through His Spirit. Because the Spirit of God has the purpose of increasing the sphere of God's influence. It has become very popular to quote a phrase that has become attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. To preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Now you will never find that quote in anything that St. Francis has said. And more than that, the problem with that statement is that preaching the gospel is always necessary. Yes, we are to to be kind and gracious and compassionate with people that are around us, but it is always necessary to use words to speak of the wonders of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how are people going to hear the gospel unless someone speaks? Throughout Scripture, the presence of the Spirit of God And proclaiming the good news about God. They are connected. The Spirit's presence isn't just to make us feel good. It is so that we can speak the good of God. And everyone begins to speak this message. A little bit later in the chapter, as Peter begins to address their misperception that it's because of 
of alcohol that they are able to to speak in these languages. Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. Verse 17, he says that this is what is happening right now. That in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Like the way that N.T. Wright, the historian and scholar, says, he says that this work of God is wonderfully inclusive. Because there is no category of people which is left out. Both genders, all ages, all social classes. But it is wonderfully focused because it happens to all who call on the name of the Lord. This miraculous day happens whenever they are all gathered in one place on the day of Pentecost. And who is it that is gathered? Who is it that is all together in this one place? If we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that it is the eleven along with the women. The women who, some of them who were wealthy and they were, they were providing for Jesus and His disciples as they, as they were going about His ministry. The women, some of them who were married to the disciples. And Mary, Jesus' mother and his brothers, those who didn't believe, that there were about 120 that are from all different walks of life. And they stand up and they're proclaiming this message to people who are from all over the world. Both Jews and those who have converted to Judaism. And that is something that is worth celebrating. On June 7, 1964, a group gathered in a Methodist church building. And as so often happens when a group gathers in a church building, they spent some time in prayer. But on this day, someone decided to write down the words of the prayer. Sam Bowers, their preacher and leader, prayed these words. O God, our heavenly guide, as finite creatures of time and as dependent creatures of Thine, we acknowledge Thee as our sovereign Lord, Permit freedom and the joys thereof to forever reign throughout our land. May the sweet cup of brotherly fraternity ever be ours to enjoy and build within us that kindred spirit, which will keep us unified and strong. Engender within us that wisdom kindred to honorable decisions and the godly work. By the power of Thy infinite Spirit and the energizing virtue therein, ever keep before us our pledges of righteousness. 
Bless us now in this assembly that we may honor Thee in all things. We pray in the name of Christ, our blessed Savior. Amen. And the rest of those Ku Klux Klan members said amen, and they went about to do the work of carrying out God's goal of creating white supremacy. And before you become too judgmental of Sam Bowers for being racist and backwards and for wanting to, the world to look a specific way, maybe we should take a moment to look into the mirror. Because some of the most hate-filled speech I have ever heard has come from those within churches. Anytime that someone decides that they are going to start a new church. Hateful language is used. Anytime someone decides that they are going to try and update the words of Scripture to, to communicate to a, a specific subculture of, of our world or to a, a more current language, those who are religious begin to to stand in the place of gatekeepers and say that that's not how we should be. But the Spirit of God fills us so that we can fulfill the will of God, not our own will. Because God has been faithful to His promise. The promise that He made to Abraham that He would bless all peoples. The promise that reached His fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we all have been invited into that promise. We all have been invited to, to become under the influence of the Spirit of God so that we can proclaim the good news and increase the sphere of God's influence. Are you under the influence of God? Are you under the influence of His Spirit? We're going to continue to sing about how good God has been to us. Some of our shepherds will be at the back. I'll be at the front of our worship center this morning. If there's some way that we can assist you in becoming a follower of Jesus, to coming under the influence of the Spirit of God, we invite you to come as we stand and we sing together.